0: The SpeedCafe.com podcast is brought to you by Morris, the official finance partner of Speed Cafe. Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. SpeedCafe.com, your daily racing fix.
1: Check it out. Speed Cafe. Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and this is the Speed Cafe podcast. Now, many of you will remember that for many, many years, I did long-form interviews with the big names in local and international racing in Auto Action magazine, and also briefly in video form on Speed Cafe. Well, Up Front with Fogues is back, and my first guest really needs no introduction. He's arguably the most influential figure in supercars, if not Australian motorsport, over the past 20 years. Now in retirement, he's still shaping opinion with his thought-provoking columns for Speed Cafe. He is, of course, Roland Dane, founder of record-breaking supercars team, Triple Eight Race Engineering, and he joins me now. Roland Dane, welcome to Speed Cafe podcast. And, (laughs) gotta say, never thought I'd say this, but... Also, welcome to the media. You're a classic poacher turned gamekeeper, aren't you? <laughs> or is it the other way around? <laughs> um,
0: <clears throat> yeah. I'm, uh, uh, somebody said to me the other day, Angus
1: McKenzie said you've come over to the dark side. You might say that. We might disagree. <laughs> but interesting, yes, I ran into Angus McKenzie at uh, and Bend. He was out here on a visit for his... Mother's 90th birthday, an Adelaide boy, and uh, for any of the viewers, who listeners who don't know, a very famous Australian motoring journalist who uh, has done very well internationally. So, all right, look, Roland, we'll get back to your burgeoning late-life motorsport media career, but first, the state of supercars, doing well or still work to be done? Uh,
0: oh, I'd say there's still work to be done. Um, I think there are some very positive aspects at the moment, and uh, but there's also there's plenty to be done. Uh, it's a sort of seminal moment uh, for me, really, to to look back on uh, twenty years' uh, involvement uh, as of tomorrow in uh, in australian supercars and uh there's been an awful lot of water going under the bridge <laughs> in that time but um but right now there are some yeah there are some uh, challenges still to be dealt with but it, but on the other hand i i, I definitely think it's a, a glass half full situation rather than a glass half empty one
1: so your view is that it's getting there it's working and when it's working the spectacle is right
0: I think that the spectacle needs uh, needs some work. I think that the basics are there. Uh, I think the biggest mm-hmm. the biggest issues this year have been a um, <clears throat> uh, a narrative that has been allowed to um, allowed by supercars really to uh, to spiral almost out of control. Uh, although that may not be relevant um, to yeah, to the wider audience, it, it certainly is and has been um, to, the, to the fanatical fan base, if you like. Um, and I think that the, the calendar being as, as truncated in, in terms of 12 events uh, hasn't helped with continuity. Um, uh, and the cars are not quite there in terms of what they could be in, in, uh, in raceability. To give us um, to give us the, the ultimate uh, spectacle uh, on track, so a few things to do, but they look and sound superb. Uh, and really, it's up to it's up to supercars uh, to to put themselves in the driving seat and to and to make some good calls now.
1: And of course, the big test, two big tests coming up, isn't it? The Sandown 500 and then the Bathurst 1000 on the reliability front.
0: Yeah, that's a, a very much a, um, a, a, a an unknown quantity, really, with running these cars for that long. I mean, five hundred kilometers and then a thousand kilometers. Uh, those two tracks and and can be can be pretty rough as well. You know, with the uh, use of curbs being very much a necessity if you're going to go fast there. Uh, and Bathurst, uh, a lot of um, a lot of straight line handling as well and some big loads across the top so uh, i think um for sure a lot of people will have you yeah, know their, their fingers crossed to extent uh, but the same was true when we when we first did enduro races with the um 2013 car the future car as well so it's not totally uncharted territory
1: okay and They've had a while now to get their ducks in a row race the consortium that has taken over supercars how are they doing you know are they getting on top of it
0: well ultimately i think they've they've still got some work to do they need to uh definitely ensure that they're maximizing the product um and the potential of the product here in here in australia um I think uh, they've got themselves too caught up in, in some of the politics, and when they should should be looking at the um, when they should be looking at the event side of the of the business harder, the engagement with, um, with hopefully a, a newer and younger fan base. And there is some evidence that uh, there is a, a, a skew towards a, um, a younger uh, fan base of some of the collateral is is to be believed. And um, and that's a, that's a good thing. They need to, uh, in my in my view, they need to concentrate on uh, the calendar, a good calendar, a calendar that embraces the heartland for supercars, uh, and makes the makes the event experience as good as possible for uh, for the for the customers and fans going to going to the racetracks.
1: New Zealand is. Returning next year, that had to happen. But I, I, I don't know. Talk of you know going on the support card for the Singapore Grand Prix. Are they are they chasing fairy dust with over other overseas ambitions?
0: Look uh, to me, we've been there and tried that, um, and uh, and hasn't worked. With the exception of of New Zealand, of course, uh, which is is <laughs> very good to see that back on the on the calendar i think uh they're 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 obsessed race they're obsessed with this idea apparently of going to of going to singapore of trying to get on formula one card there um the we did talk about it with the organizers years ago back in 2009 and we tried to see whether something could <clears throat> could fit in to a um to a uh, a a supercars calendar. Um, the first thing was that the timing of both um, the enduro season in supercars, but also the Singapore Grand Prix, um, pretty much made it a non starter just from that point of view. But also, if you looked harder at it, you're going to have very limited session times. And by session times, I include race, you know, racing time, very limited. Um, and uh, you're not going to be racing under lights. You know, you're kidding yourself if you think Formula One are going to allow supercars to race under lights. You'll be racing in the afternoon, like um, Porsche uh, Carrera Cup has when it's been there, and like the Thailand Super Series um, has. It'll be, um, and then you're you're racing before a crowd of ten. Because Singaporeans don't don't go out in the midday sun. Um, they, they go out when the sun goes down and um, and go to you know what's a, a fantastic atmosphere um, around a, a racetrack that's designed to be at its best under lights. So is it a satisfactory, um, is it a satisfactory experience um, having potentially Yeah, twenty-five minute races um, held hours before the Grand Prix um, that are potentially compromised as well in terms of you know one of the things that the the issues that we faced in two thousand nine when we were talking about it, it, we wouldn't even have access to pit lane to change a tire if you had a puncture. So uh, there are an awful lot of of reasons why I believe. that that event but but also other overseas events outside Australasia are a waste of time to pursue these days and uh, they should be maximising the opportunity um, and fishing where the fish are which is here in Australia.
1: Indeed so essentially what you're saying is concentrate on the heartland and I guess part of that is we need more events locally and that there are permanent tracks that are unused as far as supercars is concerned.
0: Yeah, very much so. Um, there's uh, a, a, a rejuvenated Queensland Raceway, as you know, um, which is in uh, just sitting just outside the fastest growing, um, the fastest growing conurbation um, in Australia at the moment, in, in that Ipswich area. So you you'd fill the place, Um, with supercars, you'd fill the joint at the moment without even ringing up anyone in Brisbane or the Gold Coast Uh, there there is so much um, economic activity um, in the immediate area then you've got Winton which um, okay, isn't as as prosperous but it still represents heartland uh, supercars, provides some good racing over the years Uh, the venue has had um, uh, more care and attention given it given to it in the last uh, few years, and um, and I, I believe deserves a, a, a supercars event. There, um, we've also got to be conscious that you know somewhere like Sandown is, as we've been told for twenty years, of course is but is going to fall off fall off the roster uh, soon, uh, just because of inevitable the inevitable. Um, the inevitable development that'll, that'll take place around it at some stage. So I think those uh, permanent circuits really have to be supported uh, to help help maintain them um, as, as viable enterprises, but also because they'll get crowds.
1: Yes, they're there to be used. And uh, hopefully with Sandown inevitably going away this new mega circuit at avalon outside melbourne will come into play okay so roland as you mentioned the 20th anniversary of your arrival in australia in supercars well you've certainly left a legacy go back to there why did you make the switch you were a big noise in the well back in the late 90s certainly mid and late 90s the British Drink our Championship with a roaring success. Why did you come out here? Uh, a, uh, a combination
0: of combination of reasons, but uh, a new challenge um, first and foremost. Uh, the the <laughs> wherewithal, if you like to to support myself whilst uh, whilst trying to to get something viable here off the ground, uh, and. Um, Certainly, supercars in Australia stuck out as being a, um, a commercial opportunity as well as a, a sporting opportunity. You know, a, a national series where uh, there was um, some uh, commercial reward for doing well, uh, which there had been in the UK. Yeah, as you're aware, in a big way in the 1990s. But, um, you know, by the early 2000s, um, it, was, it was a very tough existence and uh, to make it stack up as a professional race team um, in the UK. So uh, Australia uh, represented a, a great opportunity and I'd uh, always had a love of, of this um, country and uh, and motor racing here, just viewing it from afar. So, yeah, the the planets aligned, and um, uh, as um, as as well recorded. I ended up buying the, the assets of the uh, of the John Briggs Motorsport outfit, um, taking control uh, in um, September two
1: thousand and three, and of course created what became by far the most dominant team in supercars and to some extent still is. Although this year has been a bit of a struggle for the team. Are you surprised that they've been like ambushed by Erebus Motorsport? And I don't know, you're a motorsport enthusiast. Is it a good thing that somebody is taking the fight to Triple Eight? Well,
0: he, he, over the years, um, many people have taken the fight to Triple Eight, you know, so uh, so different teams have, have stepped up. Just no no single team has actually managed to uh, to go head-to-head with Triple Eight um, all the way through, you know, the last um, certainly 15 years. And he... Um, but I think that, so Erebus has stepped up at the moment and stepped up very well. I don't see the, you know, I don't see the t- 888 team struggling. Uh, I think there are a lot of teams, in fact, there are, <laughs> there's any Erebus that um, would, could say that they wouldn't like to be struggling in second place, as it were, at the moment. So, uh, but uh, certainly... The team is 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 definitely in second place behind Erebus uh, so far this year. Enduros are going to pay, play a pivotal part because you're two enduros out of um, out of twelve events, and as you know, they're both single race, three hundred pointers, as it were. So a lot of emphasis uh, on success or failure at those two. Two events, at Sandown and Bathurst, uh, but I think that um, the the team is uh, has has responded well uh, this year. From you know, having an awful lot of work to do to try and get the uh, Gen three cars and the Camaro in particular on the on the track, uh, and um, uh, they've responded so far um, very well. They'd still be yeah, they'd still be at the front if it wasn't for the for the disqualification race one at Newcastle, uh, which was controversial to say the least. So I think the performance at the bend uh, was um, in in sort of Ron Dennis speak was suboptimal, to say the least. <laughs> and uh, but that's because Brady Kostecki did such a brilliant job. Um, so. Uh, I think that uh, the team just needs to put its head down as it has uh, plenty of times in the past when when other people have stepped up to to challenge it, whether it was FPR or what's now Tickford, um, whether it was um, Clayton in in one guise or another, whether it was Penske. Um, so and I think the team hopefully will will do so again.
1: A different management structure at the top with your retirement, although I still always see the hand of Roland Dane in the background. But, you know, with Jamie Wincup making the transition from well, all-time champion driver to team boss, um, along with your daughter, Jessica Dane, I guess you've got to be pretty happy with the transition at the top.
0: Yeah, I mean, so far it's been good. And it, I, think, uh, I think you probably... Don't realise how little, um, how little I have to do. It I, I chair the board meetings, and um, uh, I pay um, attention and particular attention to the to the GT side of of the business. The uh, rate, especially the racing in Asia because of uh, customer relationships and things. Um, but apart from that, I have absolutely zero involvement in the um, in the day to day operations of the, of the business and um, there is a sounding board if unneeded uh and um and have uh, in particular have have no inputs at all into the into the supercar side of the business so uh that you know what you see um in the in the paddock operationally at the sort of in the public face of uh, of triple eight is very much um you know the the management team and and uh and jamie um it's uh has got really a bugger all to do with me
1: well so far it seems to be in uh, pretty good hands one of the great strengths of triple eight of course over the journey has been its drivers and the stability of your top drivers that you've had it's a great opportunity for shane van gisbergen to be heading off to nascar where he's made a big impression but how big a blow is it for Red Bull ample race ample racing to lose him next year?
0: Um, well, it, it's, it's certainly
1: an ideal world
0: uh, from a triple eight point of view. Shane uh, would have uh, would have continued, but uh, but the reality is, uh, I feel uh, for Shane, it was time for time for a change. Um it was very pleasing to see that jamie had had no hesitation really in in allowing Shane the freedom to go off and pursue uh, other goals uh, for for 2024. Um, I've always said, whenever there's been uh, upheaval uh, in in the operation of the the business, whether it's sponsors going, whether it's um, things happening on the driver front, uh, that every cloud has a silver lining. And um, I think that the the great thing is that we've seen uh, Brock Feeney, where where you could have said you know um, Jamie leaving or uh, retiring from his uh, his role, leaving his role as a full time driver uh, was a was a big negative. Um, certainly, it's a you know, he's retiring at the top rather than. Uh, trying to struggle on, which I'm sure he could have done um, without even that much of a struggle for another five years or so, uh, but he didn't. And um, so, you know, we had the opportunity to to bring in a a real rookie that we'd helped develop with Brock Feeney. and um, he's proved to be the outstanding uh, fresh talent uh, in the uh, in the category of the last. Uh, certainly, the last decade, maybe even longer than that, by finishing year you know, six, then is uh, in his first year, uh, and helping the team win another teams championship. Which you know, when you're using a rookie, is uh, a massive, massive accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So that created opportunity. Now there's opportunities being created with um, Shane exploring the rest of the world and um uh, a world brand uh going to triple eight um allows them to then project a, a a more youthful um a more youthful outlook to uh, to sponsors um which is no bad thing uh it's, it brings in some fresh blood and uh and a very personable uh, young man as well with a uh, with a record um, that's been very good so far, he's he's stepped up when he's had the equipment, and uh, I'm sure will continue to. Uh, I think it's exciting what's uh, what's happening there.
1: Is Brock Feeney the new, the next Jamie Wincup? I mean, to be fair, Jamie, when you hired him, um, well, since you hired him, he exceeded all expectations, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he, I mean, he was certainly, uh, certainly, certainly turned turned out uh, uh, better than we expect. We expected, we expect him to be good, but uh, but he um, but he proved to be much more than that. Uh, with Brock, yeah, he was he'd been under the triple eight umbrella for a year before. Um, I'd uh, I'd got to know him as well over the the, the sort of three years beforehand as well. And um, I thought that, uh, that he, he represented a, for sure a risk, but a, a, a very manageable risk and, uh, and a risk which I thought was worth taking um, in bringing in a rookie into, into a team with the expectations that, that surround you know, the, the, the team internally, but also the sponsors such as Red Bull and Ampol and co., uh, to see somebody operating at a high level all the time and and Brock's lived up to that, yeah, I see him as a he's a combination of of other drivers that we've had. He's a Craig at one level. he's also Jamie at another level. Um, yeah he's a uh, he's a massively accomplished operator for somebody who's not even twenty one yet.
1: Let's look at your new career or dalliance if you like in the media for some months now you've been writing a weekly column for speed cafe what was the motivation why are you doing it
0: dalliance okay so this is a <laughs> um it's a short-term thing Then i take from that uh, i think um crusher had asked me beforehand brett murray about uh, doing a doing a column at some point, And I, I always said to him, well, I'm, I'm never going to do anything for you for, free of charge. Um, so you, you better come back to me when you can pay me. And, uh, sure enough, he did and asked me and, um, I enjoy writing. I always have enjoyed writing. Even when I was a kid at school, I enjoyed writing. Um, it was one of the few things about school that I did enjoy. So, and I've always enjoyed writing. I've enjoyed uh, trying to you know, improve and do a better job of it, and take it, <laughs> uh, you know, recognize it for what it should be. I think, which is a, an an art, um, and uh, try and do a better job. And so, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed writing it. Um, I think I'm up to column number forty six or forty seven or something now. Um, so it's coming up to a year, uh, and um, yeah, some of it, some of what I've written has been controversial, but as you know better than I do, there's a limit to how much boring stuff people want to to read. You know they want to read things which uh, maybe sometimes uh, poke the bear uh, or represent a, another point of view.
1: Well, you're certainly opinionated, and of course that opinion is grounded in great experience. So what's the process? How do you put together? Your column each week. I, I have this vision, Roland, of you sitting in a wood panelled study in a big leather armchair in your smoking jacket, with a cigar and a snifter of brandy, dictating your wise thoughts to your personal assistant. Is that how it works?
0: Yeah. No. The there are one or two little elements which so, so I certainly have my um, wood lined book lined office um, and uh, a reasonable size chair at my desk but i um drink a cup of tea while i'm doing it or a few cups of tea and um much so i'd like a cigar every so often i've given that up a long time ago and um yeah the subject matters yeah are things that sometimes uh there's enough going on for the for them to be very topical. On and other times are things that people have mentioned to me or discussions I might have had in the in the sport over the days and weeks before. Uh, experiences that I think that might be that might be of interest to to people. Um, yeah, at any one time I've probably got on my computer screen that's looking now, there's sort of 12. Twelve unused topics that I've written down there that may or may not see the light of day at some stage, um, and so I, uh, I then um, play with it. and And every so often, I just I write one and cancel it and just you know delete it and start again uh, with something else. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's how I do it. I don't. I certainly don't have my uh, assistant. Doing it for me, she's got far more important things to do. You
1: disappoint me. I love that vision. So <laughs> but, clear, clearly, no, no lack of ideas or or you know, from your day to day dealings, inspiration for topics.
0: No, the, 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 that's the great thing about there's there's plenty going on in the sport, and not just at the supercars level. Yeah, that and that's one of the things I like about um, still still having a, a, a reasonably active involvement in the GT side of, uh, of the sport uh, because uh, it takes me, takes me overseas. You know, I was in Japan a couple of weeks ago, a circuit called Okiyama, um, which is uh, in, in southwest Japan. Um, and uh, I was at Fuji earlier this year. I'm about to head off to Sepang in Malaysia. Uh, and um, interacting with other people from other places, other systems, uh, helps you really for- form um, form opinions and hopefully good opinions about what works well and what doesn't in back back home here, uh, and what we can learn or sometimes um, take the take the other way.
1: Of course as well as your weekly column on motorsport. I don't know, some or many of our listeners may not know that you also do a weekly column on road cars and the, and the motor industry, which, of course, has been part of your background since ever. And uh, you certainly have strong opinions on the way the motor industry is going.
0: Uh, look, I
1: think, yeah, I mean, that's a
0: relatively recent thing on Talk Café. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just just penned, finished this morning a column for tom- tomorrow. Um, and uh might be quite controversial as well. But I think the, firstly, I've worked as, as you alluded to, I've worked in the industry all my life, and literally only only really stepped back in um, in the last couple of years from very active, uh, day-to-day involvement albeit from afar in Australia with my business in the UK which is uh, you know, now morphed into a into a property business rather than a car business um, as we've as we've got older but um, I uh, I keep a very close eye on what's going on in the in the motor industry um, to be honest my best friends in in Australia uh, closest friends um the, with the exception of, of probably Paul Morris, the other ones come from, from the motor industry. You yeah, know, they're, they're car dealers. Uh, so we think alike somewhere. And uh, so I um, uh, keep close tabs on, on what's going on. Uh, but I think it's exciting. Um, it's also You know, it's also if you're involved in it day to day, it's probably also nerve nerve wracking because the rate of change in the in the car industry certainly never been never been greater in my lifetime than it is than it is right now. And so much Mm -hmm. uncertainty and and the biggest corporations in the world sort of feeling their way around a, 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 a new and changing environment. Uh, with um, with different sorts of um, different sorts of, of fuel, different sorts of uh, very different sorts of cars and um, you yeah, and mobility choices open to people uh, increasingly around the world. so it's ex- it's exciting, but i'm I'm glad that I'm sort of one step back from it really.
1: And you have a very interesting collection of cars. Range from a city runabout an electric car to some all-time classics tell us about your collection well
0: to, to, to be fair folks my um, most of my cars um, i have have sold now because a lot of them were in the uk and um so I've just I've literally kept a, a very small number here. You, you're right, I drive around in an electric uh, electric mini half the time here um, in the middle of Brisbane, which is, uh, I think, in a couple of weeks is due to be changed for a, a Cupra, electric Cupra, to use. Day-to-day, I've got a Hilux um, pickup that I use. Um, I've got a an old Saab that I use, much to the amusement of some people, but I like it. And um, and then I've got some some track cars. You know, a, a replica of a Audi um, EVO two um, Quattro from the nineteen eighties. I've got a got Possum Bourne's last rally car here. I've got another Subaru two door that I muck around with it in hill climbs. Um, I've got an old Camaro that was built by Andy Rouse in the UK as a historic racer. Um, uh, what else have I got here? And I've got a, the Group A Jaguar that was built in the 80s in New Zealand that um, I'm starting to restore now as well. Um, so I've got a few things here, but nothing like what I had um, uh, yeah, three years ago.
1: You're clearly a car enthusiast as well as a motorsport enthusiast. So. Let's get back to racing. You mentioned it earlier, the GT3 program that Triple Eight runs. I'm just wondering, here in Australia, GT3 has had its trials and tribulations, but of the whole Australian Racing Group program, it's really the only one that seems to be, well, getting any traction, any profile, maybe Trans Am. Where do you see G3, GT3 going here?
0: Well, yeah, it's. I mean, I think GT three it has it has done reasonably well this year, and in that there have been twenty car grids, uh, etc. So that's been good to see. I think the the issue in the background with this is that um, Audi and Mercedes form uh, the vast majority of the cars on the grid. Normally, there's there's one or two others like. Yasashin running his Porsche, Um, occasionally the Groves running a Porsche, but basically the the grid is made up of Audis and Mercedes. Now, Audi, who are canning their their involvement in customer racing at the end of this year, Um, they will uh, be providing spare parts, etc., on, on an ongoing basis, which of course they should do and are doing, as I understand it. Um, but you won't be able to buy a new um, GT3 car from Audi. Um, Mercedes are, at the moment, um, also, in they're in a hiatus. That It's not as though they're stopping, but they just don't have a GT3 car available um, for the next, um, certainly next couple of years. So the two mainstays, if you like, of the championship uh, people can't go out and, and buy the latest models. Now, they might not want to because the exchange rate at the moment makes everything so expensive from Europe um, and, uh, well, pretty much everywhere, to be frank, the US as well uh, and the UK. So uh, it it's incumbent upon ARG as the, as the people running that category to really nurture it and make sure that the, um, the cars that are sitting in people's garages are... Uh, brought out and given somewhere to race. So hopefully they they nurture this properly and well over the, the next couple of years. Um, I, I've thought for some time, for really a couple of years now, that the real growth potential in that area of racing in Australia is actually GT4, uh, because it's so much more cost-effective and, um, and accessible uh and also from an amateur racer point of view the cars are not intimidating the gt3 cars are pretty intimidating for an am to drive um a, a gt4 car uh is not and and i really feel that that's where the um as i've said publicly for some time now uh that's where the growth is and and, and by the end of this year uh yeah i think there will be uh, a grid full of cars in in Australia
1: So Roland you, you see GT4 as part of the future but what about the whole ARG suite of events, is there room in Australia for a, a professional second level series if you like
0: um, Well there's room for a very definitely for a um, a semi-professional second level if you like um, in fact there's there's more than room for it there's a I think there's a necessity for it and a responsibility um, on the people who who are in a position to to provide that platform to ensure it is provided in a in in a way which is um has has probably more certainty around it and, uh, than it has done over over the last few years. Uh, so uh, I think it, yeah, I think it 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 should be there. It needs to be there. Um, but it it pains me to see the uh, the sort of uncertainty that is surrounding uh, that platform at the moment when competitors want to race. They they want to go out and and race. They want uh, platforms to be able to to do that on, whether it's at, at um, a, the sort of second level or even or even a third level. Um, but more attention needs to be given to the long term stability of those platforms, and also making sure that categories are the categories that are that are ultimately. Yeah, as sustainable as possible, rather than than chopping and changing and having categories on these race cards with with not enough cars on them.
1: Well, you say you know, grid numbers are fundamental, and you've then got to look at TCR and S five thousand in stark contrast to well Trans Am, which looks vibrant, and touring car masters, of course. So, do we need TCR and S five thousand?
0: well i mean i think uh, um firstly that s5000 yeah it's had it's had every opportunity to to show itself as a category that that uh, drivers want to invest in or competitors want to invest in and yeah they've struggled to, to get get groups together so um i think it's had its chance um i don't see I don't see and never have really seen where where it fitted into the landscape here. Yeah, historic racing is historic racing, and that's and that's great with um, you know with old S, Formula Five Thousand cars from back in the day in the seventies. Um, but I I personally never been able to see where S Five Thousand fitted in. I think the market has has um, you know made its point now, um, so uh then Tcr yeah Tcr has was always going to have limited appeal in in australia to me um you you remember every bit as well as as i do uh, you know the the wars between two liter and five liter uh, 25 years ago here um and uh which side came out on top and it, and it came out on top by a long way you know it was a it was a 10 nil um soccer game it wasn't a 1 all 1 um so i see uh, tcr as having limited future unfortunately because some people have invested in it um have invested in in cars but i really don't see where it's going it might get a bit of an uplift with this world tour thing later this year um but i don't see spectators turning up you know in in um, great numbers to watch it more people tuning in to watch it with much enthusiasm on on whatever platform. Uh, but but on the other hand, you see categories like the second tier of Porsche, the the Sprint Challenge, um, which is doing exceptionally well at the moment. Um, GT, as you spoke about earlier, um, and then GT4 and production cars. Uh, But on the other hand, at at Queensland Raceway, you you had eight Kumo cars racing around. I mean, what was the point in that? Yeah, there are other categories there with enough cars that should be given that that platform. And uh, and it it shouldn't be based on whatever politics or whatever's gone on. Uh, I mean, quite how you end up with not only eight Kumo cars on track, Um, And that being supposedly a spectacle at that level, but then giving them television time on the Sunday when you when you didn't give it to 30 odd horse challenge cars earlier in the day. To me, that's just that's just bonkers. Um, So, yeah, there's got to be some real thoughts around what categories are there. Um, and hopefully gives them some longevity. I mean, t- you know, TA two or Trans Am, as it's as it's variously called, um, their grid numbers have gone down this year compared with last year. Yeah, that needs to be addressed, and and to uh, to ensure that they are kept above above twenty cars.
1: Well, you could clearly argue that the sport is spread way too thin across major categories. For, for want of a better term. Um, and we talked about S5000. The open wheeler thing is a, well, I don't know, is it a crisis? You know, Formula Ford has been the bedrock forever in this country. It's developed so many drivers. Um, there is a new Formula Ford coming. But you had a plan for Formula Ford and it, it, it didn't take off. What was it and where do you see Formula Ford going in this country?
0: Look, I mean, I'm a big believer in Formula Ford. I, I chaired the Formula Ford Association you know, fifteen something years ago um, in Australia, and brought Ford money back into it, um, and and persuaded um, supercars to run uh, Formula Ford again on 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 some of the bills on at some of their events. So I'm, I'm a big believer in it. Uh, I think that um, unfortunately. The cars are, are are starting to really look um, sort of outdated in that market um, spec wise. The current cars, because I think the more and more parents of uh, young up and coming drivers want to see their uh, their sons or daughters driving cars with halos, and um, and I think. Uh, it, the comment has been made to me many, many times by carting people now around the the lack of a you know, lack of a halo category um, in this in this country, uh, and that's what's needed. And, and yeah, a few years ago, um, I um, uh, I ventured to suggest that we should be doing something along those lines. Uh, But it hasn't got any traction, and I keep hearing about the new Formula Ford, but I don't see any evidence of it whatsoever. Maybe things are going on that I don't know about. Um, But uh, Motorsport Australia should be taking a very, very active lead in this and should have done it years ago. Uh, But they've been guilty of, well, A, pursuing a. A route which um, was flawed, the way they went about it with Formula Four in the first place, and then you you know being uh, asleep at the wheel um, after the Formula Four experiment didn't work. So something something needs to give because to me uh, it should be uh, a mainstay of the of the the ladder for um, young up and coming drivers and potentially people who just want to have some fun forever in a, in a safe car.
1: And and H at the time you put forward this proposal, certainly then had the engineering and manufacturing capacity to, well, to manufacture modern generation formula Fords.
0: Yeah, um, for sure. And uh, um, I suggested it as a, uh as not not a um yeah you know, not as a sole supplier but as a supplier to kick it all off and if somebody else wanted to make a, a chassis to the same specification they could but somehow it had to get kick started and and get kick started on the basis of a um, of a of a chassis which was easy enough to make in this country but also and repeatable enough, and but also to to be cost effective um, as much as a, a racing car can be these days, uh, and to provide that, that safe platform whilst also having the adjustability um, of the of the current car um, and retaining all all the good aspects of the of the current car.
1: You're also on the FIA Touring Car Commission, so. Roland, what's the future of touring car racing globally, and and can outliers like supercars and NASCAR survive?
0: Well, uh, first, I think they're two different um, two different questions. But I think that uh, touring car racing and uh, has now um, yeah really it's what we used to take as touring car racing is more and more is morphing into uh, GTs. And if you roll back to the 1980s, for instance, uh, with um, the the height of its powers, the European uh, Touring Car Championship, uh, which, as you know, is a well-supported Europe-wide championship in the 70s and 80s. Um, Yeah, one of the Leading cars there was the Jaguar XJS and raced in Australia as well under the Group A rules. Um, the The fact is that the um, the car would today be a GT. Um, So, and some of the other cars would be as well, like the uh, the Alfa Romeo, etc. There were uh, so um, it's a it's a cloudy area. What I I think it's a, a a delineation that. You know, touring cars, latterly in FIA parlance, have have become things like uh, world touring car or you know four door, four door shopping cars or whatever. Uh, well, that's not what supercars um, are or, or have been, mm-hmm. and, um, and and it's not what NASCAR is. So um, I think they're, they're they're separate. You know, they've got to carve out their own. Um, their own set of rules and their, and their own, um, regulations. Uh, but I think increasingly the world is going to be about, you know, the halo cars, uh, these days, which for the foreseeable future are going to be what is termed in, in motor racing, uh, contemporary terms as, as GT cars.
1: Certainly plenty of challenges ahead for, well, during car racing and motorsport in general. Roland Dane, thank you for your time and for your insights. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Every week, Roland Dane comments on the state of racing on speedcafe.com and also delivers his informed views on road cars on our sister site, talkcafe.com. Well, that's it for now. I'll be back late on Monday with all the latest breaking news on speed cafe newscast and don't forget the latest speed cafe grassroots racing podcast featuring australian racing royalty richard davison i'm mark fogarty thanks for listening you've just listened to a speed cafe pod hub production